Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. with one's first child. Every mother is acquainted. Worry. When one is young, one prays. When one becomes a mother, one burns the midnight oil. You know what I speak of. My back, my hip, gifts from my first child. Mary was such an easy child. And then she met this quiet carpenter. Nice enough young man. Though her father and I worried if he could provide. That soon became the least of our worries. She... Uh, she came to me quietly one morning talking of angels and God and trying to explain this child that she had conceived. Mind you, every Jewish girl's dream is to be chosen to give birth to the one. Yet I could hardly bear to listen. It's one thing to conceive out of wedlock, but this story... How could she lie? To her own mother. What have you done? What have you done? I said to her over and over. I screamed. Words that haunt me every day. This. This is how I greeted the long-awaited savior of our people. But when I finally understood, when I finally believed, an ecstasy spilled out of me. Had it been there this whole time? I was to be the grandmother of the Messiah. I don't know what I expected after that. Perhaps a more suitable birth plan for a king and his mother. What do I know? I know this. The very first thing I said to my sweet Mary was, what have you done? Such a useless question. What I should have said 
was let's see what God can do. Yes, indeed. Look what God has done. While the Bible doesn't specifically mention Mary's parents, um, it, it's reasonable to assume that uh, her mother and her father were intimately connected with Mary's life and with Mary's family. Uh, and even though Mary ended up having a unique calling from God about her future, uh, her parents likely had some expectations for their daughter, just like, just like any parents uh, would have expectations for their kids. Um, first century Jewish mothers, they had hopes for their daughter. They had a, a future <laughs> in mind. They, they desired their daughters to grow up and to be wives and to be mothers with certain kinds of reputations, reputations that would represent their family and their family's name with honor and with dignity and with righteousness before, certainly before God, but also before the community that knew them. And as was mentioned in the video, nearly every Jewish girl dreamed of becoming the one who one day would give birth to the Messiah for their people and and if not themselves then they certainly wish that and hope for that among their daughters that would be the next best possibility and, and this indeed would become the plan that God had in mind for Mary's life Luke's gospel records the way that this divine design was conveyed to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38 would you take your Bible would you open it and let's read this story together Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38 such an amazing amazing story of what God had in mind for Mary Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 26 it says in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and he said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be and the angel said to her do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. Man, we, 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 we do not know exactly how Mary told her parents about the plans that God had given to her by way of this angelic messenger regarding becoming the mother of Jesus. However, I, I think the little portrayal in the video that we just watched a moment ago, it, it may not be too far-fetched from a possible reaction. I mean, put yourself in Mary's mother's shoes. Perhaps there was a, a, a range of emotions that cycled through Mary's mother and Mary's father. I, I don't know about you, but I can guess that it might have taken a minute <laughs> Mary's mom might have needed a second. She might have needed a series of seconds. She might have needed days or weeks or months to come to terms with what was shared with her about her impending grandson coming from God. I mean, sometimes people need a minute, don't they? They just need a minute. To, to receive the news that they receive, whatever that news may be, that you weren't expecting. And to catch your breath. <laughs> and to begin to reorient your life and align your life and go, God, where are you in this news? However, if God could do what God did inside of Mary's womb, in, in the formation of his immaculately conceived son, then you know what? God could and God did work in the heart of Mary's mother. See, what, what the angel said to Mary, it, it went far beyond just her life and far beyond just her circumstances. It reaches all the way out, if we'll take time this morning to look at it. Don't, don't miss. Always remember what the angel said there in verse 37. The angel said this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Would you just make that declaration with me? For nothing will be impossible with God. I mean, perhaps what seemed impossible with, with how Mary's mother responded when, when first hearing this news, maybe it began to shift a little bit over time as God began to work in Mary's mother's heart. See, in the coming months, Mary would indeed give birth to Jesus in circumstances, again, that were probably not what her mother expected when she thought about the arrival of her first grandson. 
And then you just kind of keep walking forward in the story. And there's a, a close call with the, the swords of Herod's men who were looking to take the life of the newborn king. And, and then there was this diverted sojourn to Egypt for a couple of years. And all of that may and quite probably did delay the very first face-to-face -face meeting that Mary's mother had with Jesus. Think about that for a second. That there's no historical record that exists about that, but it's reasonable to believe that in time, Mary's mother likely came face to face with Jesus. His maternal grandmother and she probably held him in her arms and looked into his face. These are, these are, are real people. J just as real as I think about that moment in my imagination, where do I go? I go back to the delivery room <laughs> where I saw both of my children being born. That'll change you. And not only was I there and, and held my son and held my daughter, soon afterwards, grandparents came in. And we've got pictures of my mom holding Jack, holding Lucy 19 months later and looking into their eyes. And we've got pictures of Allison's mom holding Jack and holding Lucy and certainly grandfathers as well and aunts and uncles and it was an amazing time but what also happened to Jesus and to Mary's family probably her mom same thing same range of emotions I mean just imagine that emotion of, of love in, in that moment and, and mother Mary's mother must have just felt Oh, if we could have captured it in a, in a photograph, but we don't have it. That's okay. We can still let our imaginations roll a little bit. Just, just try to imagine looking into the face of Jesus, the, the, the maternal grandmother looking into Jesus' face. What other things start coming to mind? Imagine how Mary's mom might have felt in that moment, and, and especially if it could then be zoomed out if she could have been privy to the fullness of what her grandson is about to mean to the whole world. She had no way of knowing, not the fullness. But just what if she could have known, oh my goodness, this one's about to perform miracles in the coming decades. Oh my goodness, this one's going to go to the cross in the coming decades. This one's going to experience resurrection and an ascension. And the way that the church is going to be formed and unleashed, she had no idea when she looked into the face of her grandson. Yes, let's see what God can do. Let's see what God can do. What God was in the process of doing in those moments was 
far beyond what Mary's mother or anyone else for that matter could ever have asked or imagined. In fact, what God was going to do could be categorized as the ultimate gift for a grandmother. I mean, the, the, the snapshot of that little gift, if we were to fast forward a little bit, could be seen in the early days of the formation of the church. Would you hold your finger right there in Luke and flip over to Acts chapter 4? Look at Acts chapter 4 with me. I want to show you just a, a snapshot here. A snapshot of the early church, the early New Testament church. Acts chapter 4, it's an amazing little, little picture of what was coming because of who Jesus was and is and always will be. Look at Acts chapter 4. Let's read verse 32 to 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Did you see it? Not so much. <laughs> that ultimate gift for a grandmother, you're going, man, you just took a left turn and threw me off the back of the, uh, of the bus here. What, what's going on? I, I totally didn't see a, an ultimate gift for a grandmother. Well, you probably didn't see it because you probably weren't looking at that passage or listening to that passage through the lens of a first century Jewish grandmother or a first century Jewish grandfather, or a first century Jewish mom or dad. And that's okay, I wasn't either until I started digging in here. But this ultimate gift is right there in Acts 4, verses 32 to 37. And it's a gender neutral gift. It's just the ultimate gift for a grandparent or even for a parent in that first century and you know what it translates to 21st century followers of Jesus it's not a gift certificate it's not a family portrait all those those would be great gifts but rather what we just read there was the the description of the kind of person that your kid or your grandkid or you could grow up to be, and that kind of person is described here in these last verses of Acts chapter 4. I want to take a closer look here at what I'm talking about from this text here in Acts 4. Look what Jesus, what his life produced in time. Look back at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Believed what? 
everything that the angel said to Mary actually came true. That Jesus would be a king whose kingdom and reign would have no end. That he would be holy, that he would be son of the most high, that he would be the son of God. Believed in all that. And those who believe in him, in all of that, it says they were of one heart and mind. One heart and mind. Underline that phrase there. One heart and soul, as it also says in some translations. Right there, there's your gift. There's the ultimate gift for a grandmother, for a first century Jewish mom, for a first century Jewish dad, and for a 21st century follower of Jesus who's trying to raise their kids and raise their grandkids and even grow up themselves to be the kind of person God desires them to be. Because friends, here's the deal. The ultimate gift is for your kids to grow up to be believers who are living lives that are comprised of one heart and soul. That's the ultimate gift. The ultimate gift. And, and whether you have kids or grandkids or not, you are one of those. So this is ultimate for you, too. The ultimate gift is for your kids or you to grow up to be believers who are living lives that are comprised of one heart and soul. It means if you're, if you're raising a kid, grandkid, who's moving towards that, who's moving towards having one heart and one soul that believes in and lives for the one true God whose name is Jesus, then everything else in life is going to fall into place. Everything else is going to fall into place. The evidence of a one heart and soul kind of person, it's described in those verses that we just read there in Acts 4. Now, can, can I give a, a little bit of a disclaimer here? For some, right now you're going, oh, I feel so guilty because I'm already a failure in this because my kids are off the reservation. <laughs> or my kids aren't having their quiet time. Or I'm not having my quiet time. Or, uh, take a breath. Take a breath. The enemy would love nothing more than to needle you in your own incompetence. And the Lord Jesus is saying, set that all aside. And let's just paint a picture of what I've created you to be. And a life that I've invited you to walk towards. This is a picture of who he desires us all to be. It's an aspirational goal. So take a breath with me and, and let's dig a bit deeper into this backstory of this ultimate gift of having one heart and one soul and living that kind of life. That phrase, one heart and soul, sometimes stated as one heart 
and mind. It's typically a, a Hebraic phrase that occurs frequently in the Old Testament. It, it especially is found in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you want a head start, I'm going to look at several different verses in Deuteronomy. It's toward the front of your Bible, so keep a finger there in, uh, in Acts 4. We'll come back to it in a moment, but I want you to flip over to Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 is where we'll start here. Deuteronomy 6, one of the most significant parts in the whole Bible for a Jewish person is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, particularly verses 4 through 9. Uh, that passage of Scripture is known as the Shema. The Shema. Every Jewish person had the Shema committed to memory. The, the term Shema means the saying. It was the saying that a Jewish boy would say at his bar mitzvah, which was his rite of passage from moving from being a boy to becoming a man. The Shema. Look at it with me here in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. And look for that phrase about being one in heart, one in soul, one in, one in mind. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is how many? One. You shall love the Lord your God, how? Would you say it with me? With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be where? On your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, as a, as a first century Jewish parent, if you could raise a kid grandkid who, who lived like that man that was the ultimate gift you could possibly imagine giving the world and the way that they would sum that gift up is a person who was one in heart and soul would you just say that phrase with me one in heart and soul see if you're if, if your heart, if your soul were one, then everything else in a person's life was in alignment. It was ready to roll forward. Nothing else was out of balance if your heart and your soul was one. Everything in a one heart, in a one soul life was right where God wanted it to be. And thus, it was right where a parent could only hope and pray that their life of their child would move toward one heart, one soul, a one heart and one soul life. What was the ultimate gift that a grandmother, a grandfather, a mom or a dad could ever hope for and lead toward and parent toward? Let me just show you how this phrase just surfaces over and over and over and over again in Deuteronomy. I've ordered these so we can turn to the right, so it'll be easy to just keep turning to the right. I want to just show you a few verses here. Look with me, if you would, just a couple of chapters over in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you've got a pen, I'll invite you to underline some phrases here for the next few moments. Deuteronomy 10, look at verse 12 with me. And now Israel... What does the Lord 
your God require of you, but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God. How? Say it with me. With all your heart and with all your soul. Look at the next chapter, Deuteronomy 11, verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him how? Say it with me. With all your heart and with all your soul. Talking about one heart, one soul kind of living. One heart, one soul kind of people. Look a couple of more chapters to the right. Deuteronomy 26. We just keep seeing it over and over again. Deuteronomy 26, verse 16 says this. This day, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. And you shall therefore be careful to do them how? Say it with me. With all your heart and with all your soul. It's repeated over and over and over. The only reason God repeats himself in Scripture is because he definitely wants you to get it. If he says it once, it's important. If he says it twice or three times or over and over and over, that's God raising a red flag, waving a red flag, blinking red light. This is uber important. This is what I want for you, God's saying. Look at one final passage here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. Look at verses 2, 6, and 10. Deuteronomy 30, verse 2. And return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today. How? With all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And in verse 10, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God, how? With all your heart with all your soul we just see it over and over and over again one heart one soul one heart one soul one heart one mind that's who God desires you to be if we go back to the New Testament just before the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Mark Jesus finds himself in a conversation not the baby Jesus but fully grown man Jesus now <laughs> And, and we get a snippet of a conversation. Look with me in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. This is so beautiful. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Jesus is in a conversation with a religious leader. And this religious leader asked Jesus a question that's recorded here in Mark's gospel. Mark 12, verses 28 to 31. He asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this. Watch him quote Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He's saying one heart, one soul, one mind, one strength, all one. 
all one, all of who you are. And he says, and the second is this, the second most important is this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Friends, Jesus just said that if you want to give, if you want to be the ultimate gift, then this right here is what he's saying. Can we go to that next slide? Be a person who has a oneness in his or her heart and soul towards me. That's what Jesus is saying there. You want to give the ultimate gift. You want to be the ultimate gift and be a person who's got a oneness in his or her heart and soul towards me. See, if a person, friends, if a person has a belief and has a life that lives in a oneness with Jesus, then everything else is going to flow from that oneness. He, he, he saying when there's, when there's a oneness vertically, when there's a oneness with God, when there's a oneness with Jesus, then that means you are now in right alignment to have a oneness horizontally with you and others. In, in other words, the early followers of Jesus were living in community with Jesus and with others. We say that phrase around here a lot, in community. That's what it's talking about. This oneness vertically with Jesus and a oneness horizontally with others. That's what we see in the back half of Acts chapter 4. We see this working its way out. Look again at what happens if you're living a one heart, one soul kind of life that's in community with Jesus. You then are in alignment. You're in alignment, friends. You're in alignment to live in community with those around you who are also trying to follow Jesus. Look again at Acts 4, 32 and following. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Take a step back from that for a moment. You're going, wait a minute, what, what does this have to do with Christmas? This is, this is why Jesus came. This, this is where this leads to. It's heaven on earth kind of living. It's on earth as it is in heaven. Mary's mother's holding a little baby Jesus there. That first, she doesn't see any of this coming. She just sees a beautiful baby. But if you could zoom out and see where it's leading, it affects us, does it not? Don't we need this to be manifested in our world today? Oh my goodness, yes! What an incredible gift this could be to the world to actually live this out. This is why Jesus came. It's so relevant to us. It goes so beyond the baby in the manger. Are our hearts preparing him room? If so, this is what it's intended to lead to. 
This is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. It moves somewhere. Mom, Dad, grandparents, what we're reading here in Acts, this is a picture of what kind of kid we'd be proud to call our own, right? (laughs) This is a picture of the kind of life we'd be proud to live before God, yes? Yeah, if you're not sure what God wants, live Acts 4, 32 to 37, and you'll be doing great. He doesn't want anything else for Christmas besides that. (laughs) Man, would, would not the ultimate gift not be raising kids who grew up to believe in and to live out a life of faith and devotion before the one true God whose name is Jesus, who's living in community with Jesus because he or she has a one heart and one soul kind of a life that's just so on fire for the Lord. I mean, that, that seems like an ultimate gift for, for mature followers of Jesus to keep moving towards and stepping in towards and making sure that the, the embers of our faith aren't growing cold. But we're stoking those fires, coming before the Lord, going, Lord, light me up. Light me up that I may burn brightly for you in a dark world. Man, what, what a blessing to be able to look around and see how there there are others who who are also living that one heart, one life kind of a way. Maybe that are following in the footsteps of dad and mom or grandparents. Or maybe you're the first generation to live that kind of a way. Man, I mean, just take a step back and think about it. Do you you want a stingy, miserly, close-fisted kid think Ebenezer Scrooge before the ghost encounters? (laughs) You want that kind of a kid? That kind of an offspring? Or do you want an open-handed, generous, blessing-filled kind of a kid? That's Ebenezer after ghost encounters. Don't we all need a fresh ghost encounter? (laughs) Holy ghost encounter this Christmas? Man, I do. Who wouldn't want a kid that grows up and lives open-handedly and generous. I do. You do. Isn't that what your mom, isn't that what your dad, your grandparents probably wanted for you if given that choice? I mean, just take a step back and think about it for a second. From the earliest days, from the earliest days, God saw fit to give me a mom who trained me not to be a stingy weasel Ebenezer Scrooge pre-ghost kind of a kid. We've talked about this before. Your, your nature as a little kid probably was just like my nature as a little kid. You grew up saying what? Mine! Christmas morning, you got all these toys? Mine! All mine! Maybe you had brothers and sisters, and what did mom teach you? Share. <laughs> Share. Did the, was my mom the only one? Oh, you, you had that same mom. They were cut from the same cloth. They read the same rule book. So many moms, grandmothers, grandparents taught their kids the difference between what? Mine and share. The nature of most kids is what? It's mine. 
Therefore, good parents and grandparents have to help teach them what? No, share. Share. Nobody grew up with, uh, eh, don't worry about sharing. It's all about mining. Just be about a mine all the time. Nobody, nobody grew up with that. We teach our kids to share. We teach our kids to care for others. And when we do that, we are, we are leading them toward the ultimate kind of life that Jesus had in mind. It's the kind of life, you know what? <laughs> That's one heart and soul. That's just a manifestation of it. It's a kind of life that, that moves towards believing in the one true God named Jesus, who in turn will then bless others just as Jesus did with generosity, with love, with compassion, with care. William Barclay notes that the early followers of Jesus, those one heart and soul kind of people that we were reading about, the people who believed in Jesus, he says they had an intense sense of responsibility for each other that, that awoke in them a real desire to share all that they had. You know what? I see that in the faith family of Arapaho Road. I see you living like that, generously, open-handedly, caring for one another, and seeing someone in a while, man, you're not going, oh, where have you been? No, it's, I'm so glad to see you. You care about people. I love that about you. And in Scripture, you know what? That, that's a heart that's beating for God. That, that's not so much a heart that's been legislated for God. It's just something that grows when you are growing into the person God designed you to be. It becomes a, a, a spontaneous kind of way to express your life. This way of life, it just stems in the pages of Scripture, it stemmed from the pages of Deuteronomy again, from the early days of history. The people of God, they were mindful of the divine instruction not to have any poor among God's people. Look what it says. It'll be on the screen from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. It says, But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. What does that mean? Why are we pointing that out? Because theologically, it means that the early believers considered themselves to be the righteous remnant of Israel. So Deuteronomy 15 verses 4 and 5 undoubtedly would have been on their mind. And what did it say? There should be no poor among you. People with needs among you. See, in, in the minds of these Jewish people, from biblical days, again, living a one heart and one soul kind of a life. It not only was about being in community with the one true God, but also being in community with their neighbors and taking care of their neighbors. And if they were, were living that ultimate life, then that kind of life, that kind of living, that kind of legacy would just stamp out poverty. Stamp out need. How? By just being obedient to who God tells them to be. 
And if they're obedient in their life, just doing life God's way, then what's naturally going to be a part of that is taking care of people that have some different needs as they're just being generous and being a blessing. Isn't that what God told Abraham to do? I'm going to bless you so that you can be a what? A blessing to others. The last thing God had in mind when he blessed Abraham was that it would all be about mine. (laughs) From the very beginning, it was about share. And if we're going to be the people of God, he's going, there can't be be need around you. There's not going to be poor people around you. God wants his people to be about share, not mine. Again, you're going, wow, where's this coming from? It's coming from that moment that we invited you to think about when Jesus' maternal grandmother is standing there or sitting there looking into the face of her grandson and she's got dreams for his life. But if she could only pull back and see what God's dreams were, it would lead to all of this. We have the benefit of seeing it 21 centuries later. She didn't. She just wanted a Messiah for her people. And God's dreams were so much bigger than hers. Mm. And we get to be a part of that, friends. We get to be a part of God's dreams. That's what I'm inviting you to do. That's what Christmas invites us to do, is to dream again what God's dreams were really all about. That would manifest itself in the church, being the people of God, in the places that God has called us to live. Michael Green says this in his book, 30 Years That Changed the World. A feature of the lifestyle of these early Christians was their generosity. The gospel made an enormous difference to their bank balance. And people in Western culture sit up and they take notice when they see Christians making major financial sacrifices for the Lord Jesus. Wow. Let me just ask you a question to think about. From today to the end of December 2021, the Lord doesn't come back before then, okay? So the rest of this month... Just think about this question right here. What would it look like for you if you are a follower of Jesus to make a major financial sacrifice for Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about dropping a 20 in the offering plate, although for some that may be a major financial sacrifice. And if it is, then glory to God if that's what he leads you to do. But, but maybe, maybe it's, it's wider and bigger than that for others. Maybe it's tithing 10% of your gross income as a starting place. Maybe it's contributing significantly over and above that 10% tithe to be able to fund a missionary or missionaries to follow God's call around the world. Maybe it's, it's, it's moving into making a major financial decision to help someone else or perhaps even yourself to adopt a child or children 
that would change the life of an orphan that may move them towards a different kind of an opportunity to become a one heart, one soul kind of a person. Some will be receiving income tax returns in the coming months. And what if the Lord led you to apply that to someone you know that has a major crippling medical debt? And in Jesus' name, you just want to bless them. Maybe God just leads you to stay in a lower paying job because of the influence you have right where you are rather than climbing the corporate ladder for more money, more fame, more status. And he just invites you. What if you just stayed right there and blessed in a major way? See, so much of what we see here in Acts chapter 4, it's what we actually see mirrored just a couple of chapters earlier. Flip back to Acts 2 verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. What does that mean? It means there was unity in their community. Biblical scholar John MacArthur talks about how their unity actually stemmed from focusing on the priorities that Jesus had left them. And he describes it like this, just selflessly loving each other and reaching a lost world. What a great approach for church. That's <laughs> what it goes on to talk about in that next verse in Acts 2.45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You know, now why do they do that? Are they like moving towards communism or some form of socialism or something? No. <laughs> no. This is Generosity. This is a heart grabbed by God. They still owned the property, and yet they were willing to depart with it if it meant meeting needs around them. There was no compulsion. They were just simply living changed lives as Jesus had compelled them to do. And actually, just as the angel told Mary that God was planning to do. You see, Acts 4 32 to 37, it's a picture of what it looks like when the people of God demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like on earth as it is in heaven. You, you talk about thinking about what the church, this church may look like in the days and months and years ahead as we're considering, God, who you want us to be in this next generation Maybe it's something like this. It's a church where needs get met. The gospel is shared in word and in deed. And unity is present in the community as the church finds itself living on mission. It's a great description of his church. Those, those are characteristics of people that make up a church one heart and one soul those are people one heart one soul kind of living who, who, who are people who are just going I just want to be alive to what God's doing I want to be in on it whatever our unique circumstances are I want to be in on it 
And perhaps Mary's mother in the video said it as well as it could be said for us this Christmas. Let's see what God can do. Let's see what God can do. Let's see what God can do. I want to invite our worship team to come. If you have a phone, I want to invite you to take it out. I want to give you four questions to take a picture of. If you don't have your phone or you don't like to take pictures of it, then write quickly. (laughs) I want to give you just four things to think about, four questions to ponder, four things to talk about, maybe over lunch today or later this afternoon. Let's just take a breath. We've taken a lot in this morning. But the first question is this. What do you think the positives and negatives might be of having expectations of someone? What do you think the positives and negatives might be of having expectations of someone? See, God wants you to love him with all your mind. (laughs) This is going to cause you to think a little bit there. What do you think the positives and negatives might be of having expectations for someone? How about this second question? Reflect on a time in your life when God did something that you didn't expect Him to do. Reflect on a time in your life when God did something that you didn't expect Him to do. That's that's Mary's mom, right? (laughs) Wasn't expecting that story to be the story of my first grandson. Reflect on a time in your life when God did something you didn't expect him to do. That'll stir some great conversations later today. How about this third question? How would your life be different if you lived as one in heart and soul while seeking to follow Jesus? You know, what what do you mean by that? It means everything that we're talking about and valuing on Sunday is what you live out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's an all-the-time consistency of one heart and one soul, one mind, one strength, one loving of the one true God and a consistency in loving your neighbor as yourself. How would your life be different if you lived as one in heart and soul while seeking to follow Jesus? Finally, what areas of your life are easy for you to approach with a share mentality? And what areas of your life do you find yourself living with a mind Mentality. Why don't you just sit with that one for a moment? What areas of your life are easy for you to approach with a share mentality? And what areas of your life do you find yourself living with a mind mentality? It's easy to share the fruitcake you got for Christmas, right? 
Nobody really likes fruitcake. Sure, I'll share that. How about the mind mentality? That thing that you just love so much. That's probably the place in your life that God's going, if you give that to me, watch what I'll do. Let's see what God can do. Let's see what God can do if you'll just give him all of who you are. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week.